You are Locked On Nuggets, your daily Denver Nuggets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Nuggets, your daily Denver Nuggets podcast. I'm your host, Matt Moore. Joining me today is Adam Marez from DNVR. Today's show is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On Nuggets sent you. Adam Marez, today on today's show, we are going to go through a couple of things. We're going to tackle the big question that we've been talking about all week that we said we were going to talk about, and we're going to do it today. Uh, we are going to talk about why is it that the Denver Nuggets are not as good when they get healthy after the All-Star oh, break. It's been a, train, a trend two years in a row. We'll talk about those issues. Who should start? Who will start? All of those things as the team gets back to probably close to fully healthy status after the All-Star break for the second half of the season. Uh, and in the third segment, we're going to rank the most important players for the second half of the Nuggets season. And by we, I mean you did this, and I will react to them. <laughs> we'll do all of that and more on today's show. Let's get started with this. Adam, in 2018-19, the Nuggets got banged up. Paul Millsap went down. They played very few games um, with their fully healthy roster in 2018-19, despite finishing with the second seed in the Western Conference. Before the All-Star break, Gary Harris was a plus 8.6. After the All-Star break, Gary Harris was a plus 2.9 in net rating. Mm -hmm. Before the All-Star break, Paul Millsap was a plus 8.7. After that, he went down to 8.4. He was the one that had the least impact. Will Barton was a plus 1.8 before the All-Star break, and afterwards he was a minus 0.2. Now, Gary Harris and Will Barton both had core injuries, and that right, was right. explainable. They didn't look the same, especially in the playoffs. <laughs> What was interesting was that the year after, before the suspension of play, we saw the same trend. We saw this exact same trend. So as an example, in 2018, the starters, no matter who was starting, were plus 3.8 before the All-Star break. They were plus 2.7 after. And in 2019, this is the crazy one, the starters were plus 12.1 in net rating. And then after the All-Star break, they were minus 8.2. Oh. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and this is data points to set up what we've seen anecdotally, which is if you watch the games, you knew this, which is just they had these stretches before the All-Star break in late January and early February, the last two years where they were banged up, but they were getting amazing wins. That's when yeah. the wins, some of the best basketball Jokic played last year came in that stretch, the back-to-back -back versus Utah and Milwaukee. They found these really tough situations and they played through all of the injuries and played awesome. And it was the two years in a row, the story was the same, you know, and after the, the only are they playing great, but after the all-star break, they're going to get back fully healthy and they're ready to go for the, for the second half of the season. And then the second half of the season started and they face planted. <clears throat> why do you think this trend exists? What is the, the reason for why we've seen this trend two years in a row? It's really tough to to nail this down. Um, you know, I think that some of this probably is a little bit of randomness and noise and and some of that, but I still think there's something to what you're talking about. And it's interesting because I've talked to George Carl about this very idea. And one of the things he said that really stuck with me is that teams, when there is clarity about who goes where and what your role is, 
it's so much easier when you're not looking over your shoulder, when there's a big gap between the starting small forward and the backup small forward. And, um, and all of those roles are sort of locked in. And I think with the Nuggets, one of Tim Conley's philosophies has been you can't have too many good players. And I think when you look at the macro of a situation, I think he's right. Like you grow these good players over time, and when guys get hurt, you can plug new guys in. But I do think that part of why Denver had success over the last, what was it, six games before going into the All-Star, All-Star break, they really should have been 6-0. and I mean, if you just convert that fast break against the Wizards, you're 6-0 and heading into the All-Star break. Instead, you go 5-1 um, and down that stretch. But I think part of why they did that is they didn't have enough guys for anyone to have to look over their shoulder, and they didn't have enough guys for there to be any kind of confusion about what your role is when you're with this guy or that guy or who takes the shots. It was much more clear. So you look at it, Michael Porter Jr., very clear about his role in the offense, where he belongs, what his pecky, where he is in the pecking order. Vladko Chanchar, there's no mistaking what his role is on this team. It's very well-defined. And I think once you go back to, okay, now Millsap, Jamichael Green, Gary Harris, Will Bart, all these guys come back, and now you start to, you know, you shuffle the, the deck a little bit, and you shuffle the priorities. So uh, to me, randomness probably number one, and number two is just the clarity of Denver doesn't have a very clear one through ten. They've got a very clear one, a very clear two, and then a bunch of guys that kind of change their role depending on who's healthy and available. Well, and it should be MPJ as the three, but it's just you don't know night to night whether or not he where he's going to be in terms of like, is it <clears throat> is it a game where he feels, it's not the skill level or if he's locked in because I think he plays hard. Yeah, it's more of just like is it working or not tonight? It right. doesn't work. It doesn't work every night with Michael Porter Jr. Like he makes some of it work sometimes because he's extremely talented, but I think that's one of the, the factors that you have to have to kind of um, consider. But even even though just to, to build on that, if he has a bad first quarter when nobody else is healthy, when all those guys were out, oh, he's going to get in the second quarter. No problem. Like, oh, we're not going to – Chanchar is not going to close over you. He's not going to get minutes over you. Mm-hmm. But if you have a bad first quarter and you start out a bad second quarter, yeah, maybe you do go to P.J. Dozier instead or Jamichael Green if everybody's healthy. And I just think that creates a pressure, especially for a guy who it's been clear this year he has felt the pressure – I think it creates a pressure for a guy knowing there's somebody that can replace him if he doesn't perform. That's interesting. And probably something that we need to ask Malone is like, have you communicated to him that his minutes are not going to be affected, which I probably bet he hasn't. Like, I would bet that Malone's like, I have to have everybody. And I think that's, that's difficult, right? Like, how do you, how do you make him an exception? Right. Jamal and Joker is one thing, but you know, I think it's tough to be like, no, no, Michael, you can, you can screw up as much as you want. And you're st- and that's probably, I think where, MPJ is best is when he's not worried about looking over his shoulder and not worried about losing minutes and not getting all tense and anxious about, you know, losing his opportunities. But I think it's also tough if you're telling the rest of the roster, like, no, 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 you have to play well. Yeah. You know, but Mike doesn't. Can we, can we also say one little caveat here, which is that we kind of are assuming that these guys are healthy when we don't know yet. We should have media availability tomorrow. And I suspect that Jermichael Green, Gary Harris, Paul Millsap, if not all of those guys, most of them will be back. But we actually don't know that. We're just assuming. I think this is my thing. If the playoffs started tomorrow, I would expect all those guys back. Yeah, it seems like it. Yeah, but that's where I'm at. Is like, you know, Gary. There was there was some noise about Gary coming back before the All Star break. Paul is probably the least. You know, now look, no. this is this has changed though. It's like we've heard Malone talk about guys. Like this happened with Gary last year, where it was like Gary should be back like next game. 
and this was in the, the bubble before playoffs. And then it was like, right, mm, right, yeah. And he doesn't come back well, until halfway through, right? Gary then, in particular, what? I think, is interesting because the injury he has, he's had a history with. Like this is, right. and then he even came back for that one game and then had to go back out. So he's an he's an especially interesting case here. I, on the other hand look at this more as like a team identity thing versus how guys play individually. I look at it more as a team identity and the nuggets, for whatever reason, they play with a lot of urgency when their backs are against the wall. Mm. They, it, this is, That's and I, I don't have a really good recognition for where this started or came from. I think it started with the wolves game in 2018. That whole run, I would say, because remember they ran one like six in a row just to push it to game 82. Like it was like, you're really going to miss the playoffs. And then they go on this run and they make it to the, the what's essentially the play in game. Yeah. And then they lose. And they lost in pretty disappointing fashion. Um, it was close, but they didn't play yeah. well, is how I would right. put it. Yeah. And so. Yoke is quite incredible and the team really yeah. struggled. Yeah. And since that game. <laughs> they have kind of had this mindset of when you face a situation where you've got to win, we're going to win unless we're just completely unmatched, like versus the Lakers. Like, do you feel like the flip side of this? Cause everybody will call that resilient. And I think it's true. Denver's a very mm-hmm. resilient team, but the flip side of that is they're also kind of procrastinators. Yes. And they have a procrastination. Uh, well, this feeds into is, it, right. It's like, yeah. this team shouldn't lose to the Hawks. This team yeah. shouldn't lose to the Cavaliers, this team shouldn't lose like they did last year. They beat them the pants off them this year. Th- this team shouldn't, you know, and, and I mean the, the wizards game I did. I like, I've been trying to tell everyone like the wizards are not as bad as a record. Oh, they're good now. Yeah. But like, even then, like the wizards game, if they had probably put their foot down and tr- if they treated every game, like they treat these big time matchups, then they would be the number one seed. Now the the contrast to that is like, that's what Tibbs teams do. That's why the bulls were great in 2011 and 2012 and were bad in the playoffs. And like, I talked to to people around the league about this. um, An assistant coach I talked to was like, they don't have an extra gear. You have to save something. You have to know that there's somewhere further that you can go. And with Tibbs teams, you're always at the top level. And then you just expect you to do that the entire time. So when you get to the the playoffs and you're playing as hard as you can, that's how you've been playing all year. And the other team is like, okay, we're going to go above that. And yeah. so um, I, I think it's better the way that the Nuggets – because this is what's kind of been funny is for as much as people complain about the Nuggets' inconsistency, this is what you want. Like you want a team that's better in the playoffs. They're right. they're well-built for the modern NBA in which the NBA <laughs> regular season matters the, le- the least it ever has. Right, right. For whatever reason, I think there's a lot of combinations of factor in that. Uh, media discourse means that players don't try as hard as they used to. Um, three point volume means that some of the right. results are yeah. more totally variant. Yeah. Uh, superstar talent is higher, I think, than it has been since the mid 90s. And that's part of the equation. Yeah. Um, but this is like what you want is like you want a team that turns it on when things get tough. And that's what the nuggets have done. But the contrast to that is when you come out of the all-star break and you're facing a weak opponent and your team is fully healthy, it's like, yeah, oh, we got this. Right. Right. And you don't. Yeah. I think that's definitely a part of it. Another part of it, I think is, you know, a lot of this is personality. You know, Jokic is a, a creative player. Uh, I think even Jamal Murray is a little bit of a, a more of that creative than like, I mean, he's obviously not consistent um, or hasn't been so far in his career. So I think there's some of that personality stuff that plays into it. But Jokic is also 
very much a process person, especially in the regular season. And I think he's more willing to play by what he conceives to be the right process during the regular season and not break from that and maybe just say like, well, whatever, you know, during the regular season. Whereas in the playoffs, you just have to make things work. Like you have, it doesn't matter. You do the right process as much as possible. But when that breaks down, you just have to run through a wall. And I think he's more willing and capable of doing that in the playoffs than he is maybe Tuesday night against the, the Wizards. Yeah. So final part on this and this before we go to break. Do we think that they can change this identity, or do we think that this team, because of of the young guys and the lack of maybe the more, because you said there's like a bunch of guys, but I don't think that RJ Hampton or Faku Composite are at risk of taking over Gary Harris's starting spot. I think the only starting spot that's really um, debatable is MPJ's. Well, I, Will Barton MPJ's like that three four. Do you slide one up? You know, I, I think MPJ's starting. I, I I would be so shocked if he was not starting. But it's just is he starting at the four, or the three? I think it's probably going to end up being the three. But um, you know, w- we'll have to find out. And it's also you know just to he's played a lot of minutes. He's been the the third most important piece of winning I think over these last you know five six games and. Will he continue to be that, or will be will will the team kind of play him more like, oh, you're replaceable if you're not having it tonight? So, those those are just the things I think. The one thing though, Matt, I keep going back and forth on this. The ten games out of starting on Friday is the easiest ten game stretch they have on the entire schedule. Oh, and no. I just, I know, and that's why I look at this and I go, well, it's a great. I, I think they will be favored in nine of the ten games. The only game they won't be favored at, they they play at. Tampa Bay uh, on a second night of a back-to-back, and I think they'll be underdogs in that game. That's the only one. And so I look at that and I go, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. If going seven and three, but you you know kind of get your legs under you, if that's good, or if you really need to just win every game you're favored in out, out of the break. I, I don't know. I mean, it's funny, right? Because, and this is what I try and tell people whenever, and this is not just the Nuggets on Twitter, like people will be like, oh, but they've got the easiest schedule after the All-Star break. I'm like, not every team is good versus the, the bad teams. Like, not yeah. every team's good, you know, or it's like they get the hardest schedule. Yeah, but they are one of the best teams in the league versus the good teams in the league. Like, your, your win profile matters a lot more than just how hard is it. Like, it's just it's certainly a, a facing better teams, it's harder to win and your margin for error is smaller. But there is a, a factor in here where I do think that that ma- winds up mattering like, quite a bit. Um, I want to look at something real quick. I'm looking this up on a site that I use for betting purposes, and I want to take a look at this. Um, the Nuggets this season – this is a good one. Uh, so the Nuggets this season versus teams that are less than 50% winning percentage but better than 30% winning percentage are 9 and 6, which is 60%, which is decent, right? Yeah. Um, but if you look at a lot of where they're, they're like point differential and all this kind of stuff comes from, uh, if they're worse than 40%, then it drops to their four and two, which is even better. Like they're really actually, and four of those wins are like dominant victories. If they face really, really, really bad teams, they, 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 like they destroyed the, the uh, thunder, they destroyed the calves right. and they killed the wolves yeah. with that talent. So, that's where it comes into when you face like the medium teams, that's where I start to get a little bit concerned for their ability to, to get those wins, but they've been overall, they've been a little bit better at those this season than maybe um, last couple of years. Let's take a break. Okay. Go ahead. Let's take a let's oh. get on the other side. Um, okay. Come back. We'll talk about whatever it is that you, that your extra point is. And then we'll talk about who we think should start and who we think will start. We'll do that after the break on locked on nuggets. But first, 
With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models in cars nowadays, it's now impossible to stock all the parts that you're tradition on a traditional <clears throat> forefront. And why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the counterman orders the parts on his computer, choosing the only brand his warehouse happens to carry? You've got computers with access to rockauto.com and in your pocket. Chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers, but rockauto.com's prices are the same for everybody and they're reliably low. Rockauto.com offers the lowest prices possible rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear like the airlines do. Rockauto.com is for everybody and does not require membership or an account login. It's a family business. They've got every single kind of part that you could ever want to find. It's unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Best of all, the prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right, locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know, they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. We'll be right back on Locked On Nuggets. Betting on the Nuggets doesn't have to be a guessing game if you listen to the new Locked On Bets podcast, hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert, Lee Sterling. Get daily picks, blowout specials, wrong team favorite picks, and Lee Sterling's lock of the day. Subscribe to the Lock On Bets podcast, brought to you by betonline.ag, wherever you get podcasts. Adam Mares, second segment here on Locked On Nuggets. What was the point that you were trying desperately to make before I forced you? <laughs> well, I just wanted to go through the schedule here, and you tell me if you think Denver is favored or not coming out of the break here just okay. real quickly at memphis on friday favored slight favorites yeah then, no, they'll, they'll be they'll be they'll be four and a half to five and a half okay then they have dallas on the second night of a back-to-back at home so they fly home to play at home but it's just back-to-back three and a half pacers at home six and a half hornets at home nine and a half bulls at home uh, six and a half. Pelicans at home. Three and a half. At Orlando. Uh, probably eleven. At Toronto or Tampa Bay, second night of a back-to-back. Pick them. And at New Orleans. <sighs> One and a half. Hawks at home. Seven and a half. And then 76ers at home. Oof. One and a half. So they're, by your account, they will be favored the entire month of March. I think it's like 12 games. So, okay. Or pick them. There'll be a pick them, I think, and you had one pick them. So, yeah. So I think, I think the big key here is like, uh, and some of those are off. Like the Mavericks game will probably be slightly less. The Pelicans might be more. I've noticed the books have given the Pelicans a lot of credit. Um, A lot of this is, um, the best way to think about this is, if you because Denver is a very Denver's become an interesting cross section. They were extremely popular, sharp play when they were under the radar between 2017 and 2018. And then once they got good in 2019, they became a little bit of a mix. Yeah. And then the last two seasons, they're a very public and wonk team because their metrics are all great. Like they should be favored based off of the analytical models. Um and most people are, are like, they're really good. They went to the Western Conference Finals. They're a playoff team, et cetera. Um, you have to make it a number where you will not get absolutely hammered on the other side. 
like that's the, the real tough point with like the bulls is a good example of this. Do I think the bulls are as good of a team as some of the other teams I mentioned in that range? No, but if you bet the Bulls, if you put the bulls as like a eight and a half point favorite, which is probably fair, you're going to get so much action on the bulls. The number is going to come down like two points. They will be favored game by game. Yeah. Absolutely. Because they've been favored in most of the games this season. Um, like I think early on there was a point where they started to finally be dogs, but I was actually surprised that the market was as resilient to the, the swings of the nuggets. Um, than I th- maybe thought they would, especially in, in a season like this, like that's really f- like surprising to me. Uh, this season, the Denver nuggets have been dogs nine times. That's how many that's times. They've been that's wild. Um, and they are, Three and six when an underdog on the yeah, season straight up. They've lost six games and won three of them. Uh, the wins were versus the Suns, the Lakers, uh, and the Bucks. This has got the Jazz game uh, as is them being favored, which I'd have to go back and look and see if that was the closing line. But mm-hmm. anyway, so what you see there is like uh, I expect them to be favored, and. The ones where they're like nine and a half point favorites make me a little bit more nervous than the ones where they're three and a half. Now the Pelicans have given them trouble the whole way. Like they just, they have had trouble with the Pelicans night to night for whatever reason, different coaches, different players. It just doesn't seem to matter. Uh, Well, I will say, can I say it's interesting to me. I keep talking about my Lonzo trade, which I think is still a small possibility, but a possibility nonetheless, they play him twice before the deadline, like almost in a row. And I just, it's always interesting. I think that is interesting. I definitely think so. So let's talk about starters here. Um, let's go you first and then I'll go. Who do you think should start for the Denver Nuggets coming out of the break? If, 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 if the full complement is healthy. So this one's tough for me because I don't really have strong opinions about this. Like, I mean, I have strong opinions as in like, I do think there's going to be a better or worse one, but I'm not sure what it is. And I don't, I'm not going to be upset no matter which lineup comes out. I, I think Malone should probably go to the Millsap the Harris, uh, Porter, Millsap trio. But I think that they should get away from it quickly. I I think that that's rather than let it play the full six or seven minutes like he typically does, I wouldn't mind if that was more of a four-minute lineup that that you start, you go small a little bit earlier than than typical. Interesting. So you think Will goes to the bench? Yeah. Why, Why does Will go to the bench? Well, one, I think he works better. If you're going to have to send one guy to the bench, it's either Gary, if you're if you're going to play in this configuration with the traditional four, it's either going to have Gary Harris off of the bench or Will Barton. And I just think Gary Harris provides something you know defensively that Will Barton doesn't, and Will Barton provides something offensively with that second unit that Gary doesn't. So I, I can sort of see that. The caveat to all of this, though, is that my actual favorite lineups – Probably, uh, I mean, that's nowhere near my favorite lineups. I just think that if you're going to play Millsap and you're going to play Jermichael Green, and I anticipate they will play both guys, then I think you're going to have to sort of stagger this a little bit. Um, The lineup I would like to see sort of get a lot of minutes and potentially be closing would feature uh, Michael Porter at four and maybe uh, P.J. Dozier playing the three because I think him and Gary Harris can provide you a lot of perimeter protection that Denver needs. And that also, and that gives you enough shooting around the perimeter with MPJ and Murray. So I just don't, I know Malone's, I, there's no point in like talking about a lineup like that as a starting lineup because there's no way that one's going to start or, or any of that. So I, I think that's probably the way I would go. Um, but like I said, I, I'm open to a lot of different configurations. We should mention that the only people that care about starting are the players. Coaches don't care about it. Like right. fans. 
I think fans care about a little bit for recognition, but in general, or in terms of like, they want to get off to a good start because you always want to get off to a good start. Dear reporters, if you're, if you're a young person that's interested in journalism, never, ever, ever, ever ask the question, how important is it to get off to a good start? If you say that and I'm around, <laughs> I will berate you afterwards. It is the dumbest question in sports media. No one is ever like, I think it's better if we go down seven to 10 points. <laughs> it just gives us a better chance to win. So um, I think that they should start Murray, Harris, Barton, MPJ. Yep. I'm I, I'm so good with that. I mean, that's more fun. It's not about it? fun. It's not about fun for me. I think for me, I'm it's sure. this, which is like, um, I my mind at this point is centered on the playoffs. Okay. Okay. You have. So here, here's an insane number for you. The NBA playoffs begin in 70 days. That is, in fact, that is, in fact, an insane stat. The uh, <laughs> 70 days. Holy cow. The, oh, my God. The Memphis Grizzlies and San Antonio Spurs will play 40 games in 69 days, Oof. which is not nice. It's not nice. Not nice. So uh, it's going to be a brutal stretch here. But the biggest thing is like the playoffs are are coming rapidly. They are, yeah. And it's like okay, well then you're going to need Millsap. I don't think you do because at this point the biggest problem with Paul Millsap is that he is one vulnerable to matchup problems and yeah. two unable to provide counters to matchups that are advantageous. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. have to be able to augment your ability to counter what is on the floor. And the best way to do that is with multiple ball handlers, multiple scorers, and with what MPJ brings to the table. And I'm on this new thing where I'm just like, yeah, you know what? The defense is going to be as good. It's not going to be as good. You know, they've been good, though. I'm telling you. I know it's weird to say, but they've been good recently. I know. I get that. Um, I think what we'll see is, on the average, the defense will actually be better than expected. I would imagine that when it's bad, it's going to be really bad. Does that make I, sense? I can, get, I can get on board with that, yeah. So, like, versus the Hawks, good. they're going to give up what they're going to give up because they have problems with Capella and they have problems with Young. But if yeah. you're going to have those problems anyway, you might as well try and outscore Atlanta because Atlanta's yeah. defense is wrecked sure. because Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter are out. Right. So, yeah. you know, in the regular season, you absolutely can outscore teams. And in the playoffs, you can do it too. You just have to have a defensive counter. Um, it's funny because Denver didn't really run Jeremy Grant at the three very often. And then they got to the playoffs and ran it a ton and it worked. And so I think it almost like flips this on its head, this idea of like, you've got to build a lot of continuity about what you're going to do in the playoffs. Like some, maybe with Millsap, I, I mean, he's been a 20 minute per game guy. He might be a 16 minute per game guy for Denver the back half of the season. And it's just whether he starts or doesn't, he's just not playing a ton of minutes and especially not playing a ton of minutes. And so you go to those Michael Porter at four lineups more frequently, but it's just maybe it's not starting. Maybe it's closing. Maybe it's staggered. I don't I, I don't know. Like Paul can have a huge game in the playoffs. I expect him to have a big game in the playoffs, whether it's defensively or scoring or whatever, like. There are teams where I don't like their power forwards, and I think Paul can bully them still. Like, mm. I think there are teams that are slow. The team that Paul can shoot from the outside well against. I think Millsap is still playable in a lot of contexts. But if you're trying to maximize the second half of the season, you need your most talented, most versatile lineup out there. And they, this is kind of the this is kind of like the point I'm trying to get to. Paul Millsap will do a better job versus every average opponent, but will not be able to make them pay on the other end. 
Right. Um, I, do, I do think Michael Porter at the four is the lineup that wins you the most games in the regular season. Um, and maybe in the playoffs too, if you, if it like comes together for Denver and they fill in the gaps, but so maybe there is something too. that's your workhorse lineup, but you play just enough of your more traditional lineup so that you're, it's familiar to you in the playoffs. Should you need it? Who do you think does start? I think Malone goes back to the opening night starting lineup. I think that was the plan coming in. And as much as they've been very good without it, I don't know that he changes the starting lineup in large part because I don't think he changes. I don't think he wants to really mess with the second. unit. I mean, part of this is just thinking about the second unit. If Millsap doesn't start, do you play Jermichael Green and Millsap together as your backup four or five? That doesn't feel like a Malone thing to do. So I, I don't know. I, to me, that's part of the equation on all of this. So the starting night lineup was Jamal, Gary, MPJ, yep. Paul, yep. and Jokic. Okay. Yep. So you think he goes back to that? I think that's what he goes back to. Malone doesn't I think change. What? Malone doesn't change. He doesn't. I don't. I don't. I don't agree with that at all. Why? I don't agree with that. He doesn't change like over like those types of those types of changes. They've had the same starting lineup for three years coming into this one. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that he's reluctant to change. I think, he, but the other thing I would say is usually he goes with what's working. And I think he was so frustrated at the start of the season with how they played that I think he's going to be like, we have to keep this going. So equally as interesting of a question as that is, so you have in the rotation, Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, and Will Barton. Who else is in the rotation in your one, two, three? I think Monte's a lock. I, I would be shocked oh, yeah. if Monte didn't. Mon Monte Monte's a lock. They may honestly go deeper this year. As much as I don't like that, I want. I always want like an eight man. I just. I. My sense is is that the team greatly appreciates how Faku plays, and that they feel really good when he plays. Um, we know Malone likes him, even yeah. though he hasn't. He didn't play him much in there in the early stretch. Uh, he's settled in and knows where he's what he's you know, like. He's more comfortable with the team just because he's you know been running a lot more minutes. Um, man, this is. I mean, so do this you is do all three? Do you just go with with all six of your guards and you play yeah. Faku and Dozier at two three off the bench? Yeah. Okay. I think that's it. I think RJ. I think the youngsters are the ones that get excited. Yeah, they're 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 easily out. Yeah. So. Um, huh. Ten man rotation. So then you have Jermichael Green and Paul Millsap as your backup four or five. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay, I can see it. I'll, I'll say this too. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if at some point the the starting lineup does transition to Murray, Harris, Porter, Green, Jokic. Right. Yeah. That's because another. Yep. They they started to struggle a lot towards the right before. Green got hurt. He was having just a bad stretch of games, but right, for a right. while there, the MPJ Green minutes were yeah. lights out. So that we probably that was you, coming at like lost momentum. We thought that yeah, was like that, probably, that probably gives you like your best versatility in a playoff series. Might. You know, yeah, it might. So all right, let's take another break, and we're gonna come back. And we're gonna talk about the most important players in the second half of the season. We'll do that after the break. But first, Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Football might be over, but NBA, college basketball, March Madness, and the NHL are in full swing. I've already have bet 
the Washington Wizards for Wednesday night. That's right. Two days ahead of when the of when the season resumes. I'm already on the board. Bet Online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Real-time updated odds and props and almost anything that you can imagine. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sports book experts. Use the promo code locked on. We'll be right back on Locked On Nuggets. When you need fantasy basketball advice, it's important that you have a reliable source. More people trust Josh Lloyd, host of Locked On Fantasy Basketball, than any other fantasy basketball podcast. Subscribe to the number one fantasy basketball podcast, Locked On Fantasy Basketball, wherever you get podcasts. All right, Adam Mares, we're going to close this segment out, and you're going to tell me who the most important players are for the Denver Nuggets in the second half of the season. We did this before the season. We're doing it now. Things have obviously changed some. Uh, I'm excited to hear this list. You're going to tell me your list, and I'm going to react to it. Let's start. It's it's at- with this. I, want, I just want to say this is interesting, not not necessarily important. Important is a little more boring to me, just because I mean Jokic is the most important player every time. <laughs> gotcha. All right. Most yeah. interesting, which I agree yeah. is more interesting. The interesting, <laughs> interesting, the interesting, more interesting list. Who is the most interesting player on your list? Well, I'm going to go in reverse order. Just build anticipation here. Just really um, sure. get excited for that. So the three guys, I, I have these in four different tiers. The lowest tier is like completely and wholly uninteresting. And that's Marcus Howard, Bull Bull, Greg Whittington. Whittington could have been interesting. But I think because of the way the season has shook out, there's just, I mean, he's not playing. Um, so those guys, there's nothing interesting about them. Uh, in the next tier, the bottom of this list, and it pains me to say it, but Vlaco Chanchar, I'm so interested in him because I thought he played great in the minutes he had, but I just can't see him breaking the rotation when everybody's healthy. So he's just not – to me, he has to be on the low part of this list, as is RJ Hampton, who I really enjoyed when he got minutes. If there's more injuries, he will be interesting to watch again, but that's the only way he gets on the court is if there's inter- if there's injuries. He is interesting, RJ Hampton is, in terms of trades. I mean, Denver has to give up something if they make a move, and I think RJ Hampton is more likely than Zeke Naji to be a player that Denver moves. Um would you agree with that? If Denver were to make a trade and have to include one of their two young pieces, it would probably be Hampton. Yeah, I think given the age of Paul Millsap and what they need and their need for long defenders, I think that yeah. you have to value Najee, especially the shooting, where yeah, he shot so much better, I think, than expected. He's yeah. supposed to shoot pretty well, but he shot great. I think that's part of the, the equation as well. Um, it's interesting that Bol Bol is like, He's basically just like the he's the the long shot trade prospect throw in at this point in all the trade talks that I've heard. So that's like not for the Nugget side. That's what everyone around the league is like. Maybe they could give up like Bull and get something. That's man. If Bull still has that value, I think Denver has to pull the trade. If teams are still talking themselves into Bull, I think Nuggets fans who were not going to trade him for Drew Holiday three months ago, myself included. Now you look at it and go, <laughs> man, is somebody still think Bull Bull is like a throw in? Like let's do this. Rough so, year for Bull Bull. Did rough, not go the way that many of us thought that it would the, go. In the same tier as RJ Hampton and Vlaco Chanchar, I have Monte Morris. And I know this yeah. is crazy because here's why. I just know what you get from Monte. He's not yeah. interesting because he's so consistently good. That's like, okay, I know what Monte's going to do, but he's not going to turn it over. He's going to knock down 40% of his threes. Um, and then right ahead him uh, of him in the second least tier is Isaiah Hartenstein. The only reason Hartenstein's ahead of Monte is because there is a world in which I see Hartenstein making a difference on this team. I just am not buying it. I, I'm, I'm kind of like, it's probably not going to happen. He's probably not going to get great opportunity when everyone's healthy. 
but he's one guy that I could see becoming like an impact player if he got a chance again, maybe four or five game chance, and he made the most of it. But I'm not counting on that anyway. I'm higher on RJ than you are. Hampton? Yeah. Can he can he play? I I think so. I think that there because there were situations where early on in the season, um, RJ was getting some minutes over Faku. Right. Right. And I think um I think that there are situations where RJ can work himself back into the rotation. Is if they're in a slump and Malone's looking for a spark, I can see him looking to RJ because he just he he does seem to trust the kid. A That's a good more. point. Now, like I don't think I think this is only a regular season thing. I think for the playoffs, for, he's for out. Sure. Yeah. But I do think that Malone sees something in RJ that he doesn't see with some of the other guys on the list. Yeah. So in the next tier, this is the second highest tier. At the bottom of it, I have Paul Millsap. I think he's pretty uninteresting because I just we've seen him for so long. I, I think you know what you get from him. The only thing I'm interested with him is how many minutes he plays. And I, I like I said, I kind of expect it to go down. Can he Do keep shooting the way he is? I think so because we've got a couple years for it now. But it's just low leverage. It's not going to be a lot of shots. Sure, but it's also really important shots. Is when he's making those threes, it really punishes the defense. That still I think is interesting in terms of if they're going to continue like this because part of this is teams are going to leave certain guys open, and if if Millsap is one that they are just continuously leaving open and he's punishing for it. That's an advantage for Denver. I think that's interesting. Oh. At least. The next guy on my list is Zeke Naji, who I have more interesting in Paul, not because I think he's going to play more of this or that, but because he's more of a wild card. I I don't think there's enough time in the season for Zeke Naji to become a playoff player, like a piece that you play like PJ Dozier did last year, where maybe he saves one game a series and doesn't play in most. But there's at least a, a shot. There's at least an avenue for that. Zeke Naji really impressed me when he played. And he's low mistake. And if, you know, I think he might be one of these guys that cracks a rotation every now and then when everybody's healthy. So that's, he's, so he's on my list because if he were to play with a, over a healthy Millsap or over a healthy Jermichael Green, that would be really interesting to me. If they can't get stops, Najee will play. Interesting. Hmm. I like him. He might just be one year away. Uh, next on my list is Faku. He's interesting because I don't know, again, where he belongs in the rotation. You have him playing. I don't. I think when everybody's healthy, he's out. Which is surprising because, like, the metrics back up that he's good. And everyone loves the way that he plays. So, I like, why wouldn't he play? He replaces Dozier or Harris or Monte should any one of those guys get hurt. But when they're all healthy, you can't – I don't think you can play Monte and Faku together. I don't think you're going to start Monte. So then you have a, I just think you have a weird little combo there. Uh, and, All right, and I'll, th- I'll throw you this one. They're going to make a trade, and that's why Faku plays. Not the strong, strong possibility. Strong possibility. Um, Jamichael Green is next. You mentioned the thing that's interesting to me about him is we haven't seen him with that starting lineup a ton, and I think we see him a lot in the second half with that starting. Whether it's whether it's starting or whether it's just staggered minutes. I think he's going to play in between Porter and Jokic a fair amount. And I'm curious what that does. Yeah, I think it'll be, it, it, the difference in what he brings with Mills I have a slight, but it's important. It's like very, it's just a very narrow differential in the way that they play. But it's, like I said, if they can get back to how they were playing early in the season, J. Mike was great. We forgot Jokic said he wants to play with him for the rest of his life. It's like a meaningful right. quote. And we haven't even thought about that for a while. So right. I think more, I think more green Jokic minutes are in store in the second half. Um, Gary Harris is the next most interesting one to me. His shooting is, um, 
you know, he, he started to shoot the ball a little bit better before he got hurt. But, you know, if Gary Harris defends like we he always does and just shoots the ball at 36%, all of a sudden you have no question about your shooting guard. Like, that's okay. That's perfect. Now you've got a lot of shooting on the court. And I think it's not that unrealistic that he could have a good shooting couple months. Like, the interesting question here is, you know, I think – the struggles that people have identified with the teams and with the starting unit, even though the starting units overall numbers are awesome. Right. I wonder how much of that is. We, we talked about this with Monte Morris as a secondary playmaker or as a primary playmaker next to Jamal Murray playing more of a shooting guard role. Right. And so like, Mm -hmm. what if the real problem is just that Murray needs to be more of a two and needs another guy on the floor and Gary can't be the primary creator. Like it's not Gary's actual play because he defends well and does all this stuff. But like, that's what, that's the reason why, you know, strong chance for it. I mean, I really think there might be something to that. And so I'm, I'm um, kind of curious. You talked about his, you talked about the shooting in December in four games, he shot 17.6% from three. That was rough. I remember but that. In January, in 14 games, the vast majority of the season that he has played, he shot 38%. And I feel like that's even a disservice because I believe it was all the way to like January 10th or so that he was still in that giant slub. And then he got red hot for the end of January. So it was almost, I think, even more pronounced than that. Yeah. uh, In games 11 through 20, so like a 10-game stretch, he shot 42% from three. There you go. The first yeah. 10 games of the season, he shot 27% from three. So he has been both the terrible shooter that many people talk like he is and the really good shooter that I will always believe that he can be. So If you get the Michael Porter, Murray, Jokic, Sergi that we saw the last you know seven games, six games, whatever it was, and you get 40% Gary Harris, like that offense, you really can't guard. That's a lot of shooting that you leave. The teams probably just leave Gary Harris wide open because they have to rotate so hard. And if he shoots 40%, you win. Um yeah. Next on my list is Will Barton. I know fans hate Will Barton. He might be traded. I think he's probably the single most likely player to be traded if Denver is to make a trade like of the rotation pieces. But also, he really can't be that much worse than what he was in the first half of the season. And everything he gives you is a value add. We talk, Your starting lineup has him starting at small forward. Another player that, what if Will Barton is back to what he was last January? What if this, this break, and he was a little bit on the upswing, I think, going into the break. Not much, but a little bit. If he did get to rejuvenate, refocus his mind, and feels plays the best basketball of his season coming out of this break, Denver's meaningfully better. I agree. I agree with that assessment. I think um, there's a market for Will Barton. You could say that. That's both internally and externally. That there's a there's a there is a market for Will Barton on the trade market. I think a lot of it is also what Will wants. Mm. Like that's a lot of this is like if Will has talked to the front office and been like, I'm okay with the change of pace or, or I'd like to go somewhere else so I can, you know, kind of get more opportunities so I can boost my contract. If he says, I love this team and I want to stay, um, then he probably stays. I think that I think the front office will probably work pretty closely with Will on what Will wants going forward. Yeah. And I wonder if he sees Jeremy Grant and thinks to himself, I can do that. I've, yeah. I've been sacrificing here. I, I bet you I could score 20 a game. I mean, I, I think he's probably right. tired of of asking of answering questions about Jamal and Nicola. Yeah, maybe. Like, it's a frustrating thing. It's one thing I always kind of identify is like people, like the media, were always like they're always trying to write the same the main story, right? And so they're asking, like, have you ever seen a player like Nicola? What do you think about Nicola? It's just like 
when you see yeah, Jamal yeah, get hot like, like that. Like, and it's like Will Barton is like, you know, he had like 19 points and shot well, and the team won by 15, and he was a plus 23, and it's just like, I mean, I would get tired of it, you know? Michael Porter had the ultimate one of these about eight games back or so, where he had a really nice – he had a big slump, but he had a nice game. But Murray had an even better one. And all of his – you saw him walk to the podium with this, like, all right, I got a podium game finally after a bunch of bad ones. And everyone asked him about Jamal. And he was just kind of like, you guys, I had 20 as well. Like, yeah. <laughs> you asked me about myself. Yeah. So always, yeah. always pay attention to those. All right, the top tier, there's four guys. Three of them you could guess. But – Fourth is Jokic. He, I, I just know he's going to be good. He's been so consistently good. The only question with me is, is he going to like chase the MVP? Is he going to, is, is he going to have his, I don't, I don't, is he going to pl- play very hard every single game and keep putting up these numbers? Or does he maybe coast a little bit? As you mentioned, we're 70 days from the playoffs with a lot of games in between. So he's less interesting than the three ahead of him, but he's still, I mean, got to be in the top tier. I can't think of any reason why he would coast. It doesn't seem like it's in his DNA to coast. It seems like he gets in funks, right? Like not so much this year, but yeah, not not this year, not this year. I'm just saying historically, but he, does, yeah. he's, he has he he's has had stretches where he where he's and you want to say like oh he's past that, but until if he does it again, then you're like I guess he wasn't past. It. So right right. Um, I I don't think he, I really I think he has changed. I think he's matured. I think is the biggest thing. Um, he won't chase the MVP. I feel confident in that. I do think, though, that he just might play at this level the whole season and be satisfied with that because he had a really great year. Yeah. Um, number three on my list is P.J. Dozier. And P.J. Dozier, he's the one that's in this grouping um, that's not the superstar, but I really like P.J. Dozier when he's at his best. I think he's a little bit of a two-faced player. Like He does some things sometimes that drive me nuts. But I wonder if P.J. Dozier is one of the answers that we're looking at. Gary Harris, you need a defense, but you need a ball handler. Will Barton, you like his length at small forward. P.J. Dozier kind of brings all of those things. And I I just wonder if going forward, you talk about trades, I wonder if P.J. Dozier could be a starter alongside that group and provide what they need. And I'm wondering if he just ends up playing a lot of minutes with that with that group. When you when you talk about the things that he drives you that drive you nuts, what do you, what are the things about him that drive you nuts? Moutier esque, like over dribbling, keeping the ball in his hands, and just thinking he's a little more important to the offense than he is. Attacking when he just needs to keep the ball moving. You have great, especially when you're playing with the starters. You have great players that can create offense. They don't need his offense creation other than just the basic. If it's there, go for it. If not, keep it moving. We saw. In the last game, I think before the break, he had eight assists, like five points, eight assists, and was that team high plus 31. To me, that was like, that's the good Dozier. Like, that's perfect. They didn't need your scoring tonight. They needed your passing, and he provided it. But there's other nights where he's taking more shots in 19 minutes than everybody but Jokic on the court. And that's, to me, that's just the two-faced nature of him. But the best version of him is more or less what I think of why I like Lonzo on this team. And he brings that some nights. I think what I like about Dozier is if they play drop coverage and pick and roll, PJ will just rise up and hit that 15-footer. He's knocked it down this year. And that's really valuable. Like punishing those teams for that coverage is really important because the more you do it, the harder they will start to bring help. And like the more they will start to like want to break out of their base scheme. Now, like, look, if you do it consistently, honestly, versus drop, like Joker's gonna have the floater more times often than not. That's right. just that's part of the dynamic, and when he did, like it's what drives Rudy Gobert absolutely insane about it. 
is Rudy's in perfect position and is like, ha ha, you have to take the floater. And Joker's like, fine. Right. That's fine. But I like that Dozier can punish that a little bit more. Like, honestly, he is better at punishing that than Gary Harris, Baku Campazzo, and Monte Morris. Yeah, everybody but Monte Martin. can do it. Well, Monte, Monte I, do actually, it. I don't know. I, I put Monte above him. Monte, Monte's a killer from mid range. Monte can do it. Monte's floater game is not. Hmm. I think Monte has an elite floater game. Really? Yeah. I like Monte's floater. I remember, I always think back to when somebody asked uh, Monte about the Isaiah Thomas floater and if he was impressed by it, Monte's like, I got one of the best floaters in the league. <laughs> he was, I like I his, I like his floater. I think I think maybe that's based off of this year. Let me let me look at the numbers and maybe I'm I'm overestimating where he's been at this year because like Monte's Monte's bad games have stood out to me a lot this year. Even though I'm super high on him in general, yeah. Uh, yeah on runners this year, he's 13 to 33, uh, which is 35th percentile league wide. 13 to 33. Uh, what was he last year? Uh, I can look at that up. I would. Provide great radio. I love his. I love his uh, his floater game. See, I like PJ because it's he's got the jump stop on it, and I like that one quite a bit. Uh, last year, uh, Monte was thirty four of eighty nine at thirty eight percent from the field, forty six percentile, so slightly mm. better. Do you uh, like Dozier? I mean, if you put together a lineup that had Dozier with the starters, do you like that? In I do, I do, but I'm like probably like the highest. How everyone feels about Faku Campazzo, I feel about PJ Dozier. Like, well, that's... I like Dozier too. I mean, I I, mean, I like both both guys. I like yeah. I like Do I, Dozier's ceiling. I think for this team is probably higher. Um, number two on my list is Jamal Murray. He um, if he's not good, if he has a second half that's like the first half where part of it is great and part of it is not, then all of these other factors become so much more important. If Murray's good, if he plays like he did the last 12 games and you get more or less that kind of output from him, then Denver's margin for error is really high, and they're probably going to be a top four seed even if they only hit on half of the other guys. But um, So he's he's really important, and I'm just curious to see if he plays. I'm, I'd say I'm 70% confident that he is going to be very good in the second half, but I'm not 100% confident. I don't think he has to be. Um, we should talk about that probably sometime before – like early on, maybe after the after the first game, we'll talk about that. But I want to talk about like what seed they need at some okay. point because I think that's an interesting question. Like, I honestly, my thing is, I would rather that that Murray be as in good physical condition for the playoffs as possible. Sure, like sure. you've you no longer have to worry about him having a completely broken year. He broke out of a slump. It sucks that he cost himself an All Star spot with not cost himself. It su it sucks that injuries cost him an All Star spot this year, but. Um, I, have, I think he I have cost no, himself too. I, I I think he cost him. I think he would tell you that. I have absolute like one hundred percent trust and faith that that Jamal Murray is going to be great in the playoffs. I no longer am going right. to doubt that kid. So Do, what's your what's your confidence yeah, level? He'll be great in the back half of the regular season. Seventy percent. So we're at the same. 70% chance he's really good down the, do the second half. Um, and then, of course, number one's Michael Porter. I just I don't know how it could be anybody other but than him. He still remains the inflection point of the 2021 Denver Nuggets. If He he started to look like he was getting it, but now you had in all these other pieces, maybe moving back to small forward. If you told me he had a disastrous second half of the season, I would believe it. If you told me he had a breakout second half of the season, I'd believe it. Everything's on the table still. We, we're halfway through his second season, and I still feel like things could break either way. I'm a little more confident than I was 
four weeks ago about this breaking right for Denver and Porter. Um, but this break really halted all the momentum that he had, and I'm curious to see if he can pick it back up. I was thinking about this the other day because there was a play in, I think, the second to last game before the break, Milwaukee, I think, where – MPJ made some sort of mistake in transition. And like, it was another one of those, like the one from earlier this season where all four guys just had their heads in their hands Yeah, yeah. after he made a mistake. And they were just like so frustrated with the yeah. end of that possession. And what it reminded me of was how Gallo used to react to Jokic's turnovers. Mm. Um, because Yo- Gallo used to be so frustrated with how many young guys would make mistakes on the team yeah. and would just be like, just give me the ball and get out of the way. Like, yeah. That and and obviously, like these guys are much better than Gallo ever ever was, and Gallo was pretty good at his peak. Um, but it was it's just interesting to me to see that dynamic about how like the young guys have become the ones annoyed at the young guy for making mistakes. Uh, I think that to me is the most interesting thing about it is the whole team is trying to be patient and give MPJ space to be young and make mistakes and support him through them. And it's very hard. It's very difficult to try and win and advance your careers and get through this brutal season and make the playoffs and compete for a title and do all of this. And at the same time, be a support structure for a young man that is extremely talented, but is also very mistake prone. And as you know, and everyone's like, but he's been better. I I get it. He's been better lately. I understand. I'm not debating that he's been better. lately. Six games. Yeah. But it's still a matter of, even when he's better, what that really has meant when I went back and watched was it's gone from like one out of three possessions. You're like, what are you doing? It's gone down to like one in every 12 possessions. You're like, ooh, or like one in 12, but it hasn't cost them as much. And that's okay. Like that's okay for it to still be a thing that he's still like figuring out and that he can still make mistakes because look, part of it is MBJ's mistakes are very loud, but there's lots of guys in this roster that make mistakes. Of course, yeah. Like there are... I've been saying this for three years. When they don't turn the ball over, they win. Like yeah. that's all that's still true for Denver. When they don't turn the ball over, they win. It's almost impossible to beat Denver when they don't turn the ball over. Their offense is too good. So everybody's mistake prone. I just think that in the second half of the season, a lot of it is gonna be can MP, and part this is part of it too. If MPG can be so great that it doesn't matter, that's gonna make everybody feel better. If you are awesome. And that's, I think part of it is the team kind of got behind that and started to be like, all right, let's go, Mike. Like, let's get him going. It's like, all right, you got 25. So it doesn't matter that you had all these mistakes. We're still up 12. It's fine. So, so. Michael Porter, wow, this is kind of crazy as I'm looking at this. Michael Porter was a positive in the last, in 11 of the last 12 games of the season. He was yeah. a net, he was a positive. And then if you just look at those last six games, he shoots from the three point line, he shoots, uh, Four of nine, 44%. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, two of four. Three of seven, 40, 43%. Five of eight, two of four. Three of six, five of nine. So he's above 40% in all of his last six games. And taking four threes, seven threes, eight threes, nine threes, that's huge for Denver. So he can make a lot of mistakes if he shoots 50% from the three-point line on volume. Um and I just think a lot of that has to do with confidence and fitting. So in. a lot of it is that, you know, like, so you sitting here, right? Like the two of us sitting here know that if he makes, if he shoots 50% from the field, he can make a lot of mistakes and it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's about how it feels to the other guys on the court. 
Yeah, yeah. But I, I, I think I think he's just gained a con- I mean, we saw him go through a confidence lull, and I just think that confidence lull is gone. It might come back, but coming out of the break, he he was in the most confident spot he had been in all season. I if he say, if he can just stay right here. If he doesn't yeah. get too high and get too sloppy and start taking really terrible shots, if he doesn't get too low and start not shooting and just passing the overpassing, if he stays right here, like he's found the equilibrium, he's just yeah. got to stay right here. And I think that they'll be right. Yeah. All right. I'll wrap it up for Locked On Nuggets. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. I have an episode with a very special guest, a teacher. He's going to teach us some things about what teaching has to do with the NBA. We'll talk about that tomorrow. And then the season resumes, and Adam and I will have coverage from the season resumption. We'll talk about what seed they need to get. We'll have you covered on all things Nuggets as the season resumes for the second half of the 2020-21 Nuggets NBA season. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you again next time on Locked on Nuggets.